This is the one with Stanley Tucci as Karl Lagerfeld. The Barbarism of Seville. And Quail Pate, followed by a bisque de crevette. It's called The Two Doctors. Here, Here we, we go! We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Dalen, Ood, and the Cybertronic race. Sontarans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS, we're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? What up, podcast land, and welcome to yet another fantastic episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Docpast. Right you are, my friend. Oh, dearest podcast land, hello, I am Leon, and that lovely voice you just heard was none other than the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only, it's Jim. Hello, Jim. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) How... Stop doing those kind of intros, dude. How am I meant to respond to that? <laughs> um, yeah, but hello, Leon. Hello, Podcast Land. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Podcast Land. I have just had a lot of coffee. We are here to treat your earballs to something utterly delightful, namely our review of The Two Doctors, C141. And I am super duper excited, not only because, I mean, it's a, it's a serial. It's kind of legendary in its own right. But also because before we press record, Jim, you said that this episode would provoke a, quote, a reaction in you. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I I'm not quite as pumped full of, full of coffee at the moment, but I feel like my hatred of this cereal will keep me through. <laughs> your, your hatred? Okay, okay. I'm going to be upfront with you. This is in the mid fours for me. This is great. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, wow. This is oh. going to be interesting. Oh, oh is everyone, yeah. we everyone are, strapped we in? Might come to blows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buckle up, podcast land. Right, well, I think we should get right into it. How about we start with a nice pricey, a bite-sized chunk of who, in fact? What a spiffing idea. Time for us to synopsize, lubify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? The second Doctor and his trusted companion, not so wee anymore, Jamie, are tasked by Gallifrey to go to a scientific research station in the third zone, where a pair of scientists are getting a little too close to figuring out time travel and might cause a temporal paradox in the process. There, they meet with Dustari, geneticist, head of the facility and aficionado of tinted sunglasses, to convince him to stop and in the process learn that he has technologically and genetically augmented Chesonet, a member of the gluttonous and inane Andragum species to mega genius levels. This is far more than a mere diplomatic nightmare, though, because Chesonet is conspiring with the Sontarans to kill everyone on the station, kidnap the Doctor, and force him to reveal to them the secret of time travel. Meanwhile, in the future, the Sixth Doctor and his trusted companion Perry are enjoying the great outdoors when he begins to feel a little wobbly and coincidentally decides to consult his old pal Dastari for medical advice. 
happening upon the death and destruction on the station left behind by the Sontarans, as well as a Ben Gunn Jamie, however, they soon realise Doc's past self is in trouble. For reasons unrelated to the production team wanting a holiday, they track him and his kidnappers thence to 1980s Seville, where they team up with an eccentric lepidopterist and his Spanish consort, try not to get lasered, eaten, or turned into androgons themselves, and where they leave no one alive in their wake. B-scow over. You are welcome. I don't know where you're coming from, Jim. That is magnificent, as serials go. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to be honest, you wrote this B-Scout and you've glossed over the main issue I have, probably. (laughs) Uh Really? What? I feel like like that B-Scout incorporated everything. I mean, how about we we could start with the the shock eye in the room, as it were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because oh, so yeah, I, I mean, you this... didn't enjoy him then. No, no. This is literally my first negative note. What was it like halfway through the first episode? And it's literally the cook, as I called him. The cook is fucking terrible. <laughs> that was very little interaction with this character, and I'm already forming that opinion. <laughs> That's interesting, yeah. I mean, he is almost in a serial of his own. The tone that yeah. he strikes, or the, the tone that he, and later on Troughton, when he's turned into an androgum, that, that tone is so different to the entire rest of this story. It's so sort of farcical, and yeah, it, it's it's a comedy more so than the very serious death and destruction heavy storyline that we are otherwise treated here is is that the problem for you is it that it's too comedic yeah well it's just i mean comedic is one thing but it was just just completely over the top as well and it it never (laughs) never felt like it was tongue-in-cheek it just felt like it was terrible and maybe this is a failing of my own brain but i couldn't help but think about there's an episode of Blackadder. I think it's Blackadder the Third. I don't know if you know this reference, Leon, but maybe some of the podcast land will. They basically have the Prince Regent being taught how to do a speech by these very eccentric, over the top, like thespians. And okay, yeah. they are a hundred percent played for comedy and are ridiculous. And this is the performance we get from Shockeye. Like I just couldn't not think about this. <laughs> like he's come straight off a stage from a few centuries back. He's just over the top acting. And I just I always felt like he was acting as well. Like it never felt like this was a realistic character. It was someone just being stupid. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I am picking up everything that you're you're putting down. I don't remember that particular episode of Blackadder, but I can definitely imagine the kind of ambiance and tone that would have been prevalent in an episode of it. Can we talk a little bit about what the Androgon or Androgums even are? As a species, they're culinarily obsessed. Right? That's the, they're gluttons who want to eat everything. They want to try all the different kinds of foods. Whenever they meet anyone, they just think about how to cook them. <laughs> and they have no qualms about, about killing people, about slaughtering them, even alive. But they're also presented as stupid. Yeah. To me, there's a teeny tiny bit of a contrast there. Like stupid is almost paralleled with unrefined. But the fact that they have these rich culinary interests kind of makes them seem very refined, very, as in, you know, open-minded. Refined is the wrong word, because, I mean, he tucks into a dead rat at one point. But refined in the sense that it's not just food for nourishment's sake. It's There's there's a cultural interest in, in culinary tradition. Yeah, 
I mean, honestly, I couldn't tell you anything that would make sense about the Androgums. I like their claim claim to be like incredibly strong. I think we see it once in the serial where Shokai breaks out of his restraints. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's true. Otherwise, I forgot about that trace. Okay. This whole obsession with I mean, it's meat as well, really. Yeah, it's that's like, true. It it's not just food but it is the preparation of meat you're right it's it's the culinary side of it it's not just eating raw flesh and being i mean th- i think someone describes them as a barbarian race i think maybe the second doctor talks about them like that and oh, right, you're right, right that yeah. doesn't fit it doesn't and it's just ugh. yeah <laughs> it's, Personally, I, uh, I absolutely love him so there seems okay. to be a i think i read this in the trivia somewhere that that there's there's an almost like a veget a militant vegetarianism going on. That this I mean, is a, yes. <laughs> yeah, Andragum. I didn't realize this until I read it. Definitely in the trivia is oh my god, it's a not an acronym. It's a anagram. <laughs> it's an anagram. Thank you. <laughs> it's an anagram of the word gourmand. This is like a a strong moral stance against people who are snobbish about their food. <laughs> And painting them as barbarians, yeah. As, oh, yeah. love it. <laughs> I just, I don't think it was achieving its aims. Like, if you were trying to write something that makes people question whether the modern, you know, farming of animals and the over-consumption of meat is a bad thing. Like, this isn't helping with yeah. that. This is just some over-the-top ridiculous species you've created that likes to murder and eat everything with yeah. occasional references to human behavior on, on this. And then yeah. a He-Man episode ending where Doc <laughs> says to Perry, well, we're going to be vegetarians from now on, aren't we? <laughs> you know, it's like the moral <laughs> of the story. <laughs> I can't remember which which kids' TV show did it the worst. I think it maybe it was Thundercats. I'm thinking of where there was literally a post credits thing or like post main action thing, and it would just be a little synopsizing the moral of the story in one line. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like often with Wiley Kit and Wiley Kit. Feeling is bad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, let me make a parallel with Star Trek. In in Star Trek, in the Star Trek universe, we have the Ferengi. The Ferengi are a very often farcically obsessed species, in their case, obsessed with commerce. Comedic, ridiculous, slapsticky, certainly in comparison with the entire rest of the Star Trek universe, but they manage to coexist in that universe with all these other serious, more severe races. Couldn't the same argument be made here? I, I, I anyway, mean, yeah, that's fine. Agreed no, to I me. totally see the parallel, but I would just come back with, I don't particularly like that Fair element enough. of the Ferengi. <laughs> like, I'm Fair not enough. a massive yeah, no, Trekkie. I'm not, I'm not but, here to change your opinion. <laughs> yeah, I can think of bits of episodes I've seen. I can't remember the details, but I can think of, you know, this obsession that Ferengis have. And don't they always, they're always obsessed with females and stuff like that. And it's Oh, there's that as well. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, There's certainly um, commerce and maybe gambling as well, but I mean, certainly commerce. They yeah. are about capitalism the way that these chaps are about just gourmet traditions, fine dining. Okay, question for you regarding regarding this particular trait, which might also explain a couple of things and segue us onto different characters. We have the character of Chesane, who has been augmented technologically and genetically. She is an androgum, or was an androgum, had some sort of gene therapy, no longer has the crazy red eyebrows and the are they warts or something on her face fuck knows (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) no longer interested in food 
and instead incredibly intelligent and devious. But at one point, yeah. Doc gets like he gets shot and he starts to bleed. He bleeds on the ground and there's one scene that makes, I think, possibly almost no sense to me. And that is Chesney getting down on all fours on the ground and lapping up Doc's blood. Yeah, I mean... Is that... (laughs) (laughs) That's a a priceless reaction. Is that... (laughs) possibly a remnant of her androgum traits that that obsession with just consuming other living beings that is shining through her gene therapy and her technological augmentations and is prompting her to want to drink his blood i mean i presume that's the idea but then again this is the the heinous over-the-top assumption about a militant you know vegetarian on meat eating is like oh my god you all just want to drink blood you know and like even in the totally over-the-top character of shock eye i don't think that was ever portrayed like he was all about like eating not drinking blood yeah, or that's true maybe maybe i missed something but i don't know but you know that was they, they drank a lot of wine weird scene. so i mean it's yeah how do you feel about Chesney as a as a baddie? I feel like Chesney the same way I feel about the Starry, the same way I feel about the Sontarans, which oh, no. in diff- for different reasons, I think. Uh-huh. But basically, I do not understand their, their motivation. I do not understand what the fuck they're doing in most of the serial. I do not understand why all of them are in this serial like why is chasane even created you know if you if you can say created uh, i think that's just scientific interest on the part of dastari i i'm glad that you brought up brought up her motivations because i wanted to talk to you about that as well they're not entirely clear to me either but i think Dastari, like dastari as as well as the two scientists who we never meet by the way who are interested in time travel technology they're just they're on this base because the scientific research base because it's it's just a place where really clever scientists congregate and do really advanced research. That's it. So in terms of motivation, you don't need any other explanation because they're just there conducting research for researchers' sake. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm not letting that wait, sit there. You don't wait, need okay, any motivation. Fine, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he's a scientist, right? He is a scientist. He's a geneticist. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, I mean, there's a whole sub-element to this, this entire serial of eugenics that we should probably touch upon as well because that is not wholly okay (laughs) but clearly this is part of his interest he wants to improve other species or create something i mean he's 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 tinkering with genetics and technology in order to create a in his mind like a perfect being or whatever and that's that's i mean do you need any other motivation on his part i mean that's fine if he is just a mad scientist, but I don't think that's how he's set up. I mean, the entire interaction that he has with the second doctor is of a familiar relationship. The sixth that's doctor true. talking about like why the sixth doctor goes to seek out Dastari is because they're meant to have point. a very solid relationship where yeah. this isn't a mad scientist. Like why else would yeah, the, that's true. the doctor trust him like and go go to him for help? And then he does have a, a moment of I don't know, conscience? I'm not quite sure what happens at the end. But basically, he decides not to kill everyone. And so it's kind of, there is an element there where he's not just the mad scientist who's doing whatever he wants for the sake of it. You know, he has some kind of moral compass as well. Yeah. And it just, I don't know, it's nothing pieces together for me in this serial. It's like, 
how can the doctor have a relationship with Dastari and then Dastari turn out to be this eugenics bastard that's just yeah. <laughs> augmenting this species that the doctor is convinced shouldn't be augmented, shouldn't have any power because they're yeah, barbarians. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to guess without her consent as well, because if yes. the Andragon are as stupid as they are made out to be, then she wouldn't be able to comprehend the question of, would you consent to this procedure? She wouldn't understand what he was even on about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is true. That's a, you raise a super good point. I had not taken that into consideration of the like, oh yeah, maybe I should go and see my GP. He's a great GP, such a nice doctor. <laughs> He's got a, like a weird racial purity vibe about him. But aside from that, <laughs> what a nice guy. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Setting that aside, <laughs> if we just treat him as he is a bad guy, he has not had a background as a good guy. Because that, by the way, is something that is just introduced in the serial. We, I don't think we've ever met him before in Classic Who. Like, Troughton didn't meet the story before, right? And it's just, oh yeah, he is that guy, quote, I've met on numerous occasions. We've known each other for centuries, but yeah. it's not really, you know, it's not, he's just made up. If we, if we set aside that background, I think he's still kind of a convincing bad guy. When it comes to Chesney, though, I do not understand her motivations at all. Why is she no. teaming up with, with the Sontarans? That teaming up makes zero sense to me. I felt like the Sontarans had been a little bit, despite the fact that they're, they're in the worst serial that I think I've ever rated. I've forgotten the name of it, but you know, the, the terrible two-parter <laughs> one. Oh, Is it called God. that? I can't remember. Well, well it does, it does all the experiments on some humans and oh, it's just yeah, the, the Suntaran experiments. Oh, the Suntaran experiment. There we go. I couldn't piece that <laughs> together with the words I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but just, you know, despite that serial being terrible, I kind of felt like up to this point, they had been treated in a fairly considered way, unlike the Cybermen and the Daleks, which go up and down in yeah. what they can do and what they can't do and their you know, motivation and their how they operate as units and stuff. I felt like Sontarans were just these military machines. They were very much about their organizational structure. There was always like a, a leader on maybe on the planet that they're invading. There would be someone that they're talking to as their commander. Like it was very militarized kind of feeling of all this yeah, true. kind of stuff. And never would I get the impression they would team up with someone to do something let alone just like a couple of individuals on a planet it just never felt right in the i can see the Suntorans doing that i mean they are so happy to stab chesney and dastari in the back they don't care at all about them i mean to be fair chesney is happy to stab them in the back as well so i can see the Suntorans being there just going well this is a means to an end we'll collaborate with them now and as soon as we have the secret of time travel we're just going to go back and enslave the entire universe including chesney and, and her species like who cares so I think that's fine. Like, why would Chesney even reach out to them? She is a mega genius. That's a quote. She is a mega genius. <laughs> why doesn't she just either figure out time travel or murder everyone or kidnap Doc or, you know, she doesn't yeah. need that. No, I think you're right. I think the question is, is more on that side because they, they've had the scientists from that station or whatever it is that have made the breakthrough. She's now the genius with Dastari to put it in motion. What do the Suntarans even give them? Is is there anything yeah, explicit? Nothing. nothing. I mean, <laughs> it could it be that Chesane hates what's been done to her. Now that she is intelligent enough to understand the experiments that Dastari has done to her, 
Do you think she now resents him and everything about that space station? And this is just kind of a revenge trip? She reaches out to the first power out there that is willing to go in and murder all of her captors. I mean, it's perfectly plausible as a motivation. I just don't feel like it was in this serial. Yeah, you're right. I agree. <laughs> I'd, I'd be happy with a retro rewrite to establish that. I think it, <laughs> it, it makes a good motivation for that character. That yeah. yeah, she's playing a long game to get power in her own right and to have revenge on the people that yeah created her against her will sort of thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, alternatively, not even needing power in her own right at all. Like Maybe she's willing to see this as kind of a suicide mission. Yes, the Suntarans will go in and F up everything. I mean, if, you, if she gives the Suntarans time travel technology, she knows that she's dead as well. So she's happy to do that as long as she takes down the space station at the same time. And then she's just there laughing maniacally as the fires rage around her, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, which would have been cool to see. <laughs> I would be badass, yeah. <laughs> I'm picturing Which, that. I mean... There, there are. It's not like a zero out of five serial here. There are uh-huh. some nice things in it, and I think she's one of the the better parts of this. I think she's just underwritten and underdelivered as a character. Yeah. The actress does a very good job. Jacqueline Pierce, who I don't actually know, but I'm guessing you might know her because she's from Blake she Seven. Was in, I was gonna say, yeah, I looked her up, and I didn't, I didn't realize until I saw that on IMDb. Yeah, she was Servalan in Blake Seven. Here we go. Yeah, I looked her up. She's also been in some Doctor Who audio dramas. She was in Time War and one installment of Doctor Who, The Lost Stories. And she was in Death Comes to Time, which we will be reviewing in July next year. (laughs) Yeah, very good. I thought she was great. I thought actually all acting here was top-notch. The Sontarans may be a little tricky to to rate because they're inside massive masks and they have to play to a certain stereotype, but yeah. Yeah, I actually do have a note... Just after I wrote The Cook is Fucking Terrible, I wrote The Acting in This is Pretty Terrible. I feel oh, like mostly that acting? was aimed at shock eye. <laughs> but I see. I thought he was. I thought he did a great job, as in of I, doing whatever his character is meant to be doing. I thought that was top notch. Yeah. <laughs> you can probably, you can probably hand wave it as that was intentional, but ugh, yeah, I wasn't enjoying it. And I think maybe there were some early scenes where just everyone that was interacting with Shokai as well got swept up in the the hamminess and it just felt bad. I don't actually remember it being a problem later on. I think it was just my early aversion to this this character and the fair stupid level of happiness. <laughs> <laughs> okay question for you we get to see Troughton in this Patrick Troughton is one of the two titular doctors he is turned into an androgum at one point and we get a lot of acting side by side of Shockeye as Shockeye and Patrick Troughton's second doctor as effectively Shockeye <laughs> next to yeah. him how do you feel about that how do you feel about I the mean... androgum duo <laughs> I mean, it won't surprise you to hear that I fucking hated <laughs> you it. You didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm not surprised, that's true. I do actually feel like Patrick Troughton did a better job at portraying those character traits than the other actor, who I don't actually know right. the name of. John Stratton, who I don't know from anything else. I mean, oh, I'm prepared yeah, no. to accept this is just, yeah, that this was exactly played the way it was meant to be played. Fine, yeah. whatever. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I liked them as a two-man uh, Marx Brothers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> playing off I mean, each other. I thought that was great. And yeah. Patrick Troughton just proves yet again that he was he was a comedic genius. Really, he's playing two very different roles. Not maybe not very different, but certainly two distinct roles. <laughs> 
And he does them both very convincingly, very well. Like, steals the show whenever he's on, on camera. That's interesting to hear you say that. I was going to ask you how you felt about him in this. Because I have not seen a serial with him in other than the last... Is he not in The Five Doctor- Doctors? Yeah, I was going to say the last multi-Doctor thing, which is The Five Doctors, where yeah. I super loved him. He was weirdly paired with the Brigadier because of things that happened with actor scheduling and, and recasting and That's stuff. That's right, yeah. And I think everyone was kind of surprised at that pairing, and but also how it worked. Like, it, it was amazing. Those two were really good together. And I thought Patrick Troughton's great. The second Doctor is great, just from that one multi-doctor serial seeing yeah. this where it's it should be a bigger part for him because it's just two doctors now i felt like i barely saw the second doctor and i didn't really love what i saw either like i, I don't know it's oh, a lot of it was him interacting with Dastari and being like the time lord agent like pretending to be at least him and jamie barely had interactions and then he's yeah, being an android more of a relationship with the sixth doctor in this one yeah and even that was short i feel like jamie wasn't didn't have that many lines does he felt like oh, he was very okay. underused i thought he got to do quite a bit of stuff in fact i've written down here that i felt at many points throughout the serial that it should have been called the two companions rather than the two doctors trout and i wonder if it's like i can't remember if this was the case in the five no maybe not in the five doctors because william hartnell had been replaced at that point already but or you know the first doctor had been re cast already but in the three doctors i think it was which had hartnell troughton and pertwee in that one hartnell was already quite poorly he was of an age and he was he was not doing well and so his role was minimized to the point where he's just he's having a skype conversation with some of the other characters on a couple of occasions just on screen as in like on an actual screen in the episode and and that's it. And I wonder if maybe this was also part of it in in this serial that maybe Troughton was. I mean, he's he, both he and Jamie are obviously, understandably, they are older than they were when they were paired in in their own seasons. Yeah. And maybe it's just a case of let's tone it down. Let's have him most of the time he spends in the serial he spends tied to a chair. <laughs> Or tied yes. to a gurney. You know, he doesn't actually walk around much. He doesn't do any running or... It, there's nothing really dynamic about his role. He has a lot of witty banter, but it's always while he's chained up. I wonder if maybe age and health are a factor already in this case. Yeah, I mean, quite possibly. He sadly died two years after this. Oh so my goodness, I wasn't aware. Right. He could have been unwell. I'm not sure. I haven't looked into the details of that. Maybe they intentionally yeah, wrote things because of that or just his age in general. Also not sure. It just, mm. I don't know, it just sort of struck me, you know, this is the two doctors. And yeah. I really felt like, I feel like the sixth doctor is in it quite a bit. I feel like the sixth doctor. Oh, a lot, yes is running the show and solving the real problems of the day and you i think you're probably right the companions have more of a role than the second doctor and it just yeah. it felt a, felt a shame with something that literally just has the two doctors in they don't have a lot of interaction together the second doctor didn't feel like he did a lot other than be tied up and then has this comedy uh last sixth of the episode like the bit literally this the last half of the third episode is just running around seville and weird <laughs> weird gaffes in restaurants and i don't know what the fuck was going on to be honest 
<laughs> yeah. That being said, y- yes, I'm I'm agreeing with everything you're saying right now. But I truly adored Troughton whenever he was on screen. And I want, I mean, there might be some bias here as well, just because I really en- I enjoyed him during his run. I thought he was terrific. So it might just be that it's, you know, nostalgia speaking. But I thought he was great. I'm just scrubbing through my notes. There are so many occasions where I've just written like, OMG, Troughton is such a good actor. Patrick Troughton is a creative genius. I read like this. Yeah, I truly and truly adored him in this. I would have loved to see more of him and Colin Baker interacting. And the main, re- as you said, and the main thing that stands out to me as, wow, what a missed opportunity. Bearing in mind, this is the last time that Troughton is on Doctor Who. It's the farewell. There's not even, like, there's no fondness between them. There's no... Yeah. Thanks for saving my life. Thanks for saving mine. There's, there's, there's nothing. There's just like try not to step on my toes anymore. Not even goodbye. Zooms out. That's it. Yeah. And that's it, it's a bummer to me that the second Doctor, who has been brought back from black and white TV, quite literally in the beginning of of episode one, that he's not given as as nostalgia ridden a farewell as he gets a welcome back. Yeah. No, I would totally Jamie agree. Also doesn't get that. Yeah. And I think that's probably just summing up my feeling is like that. That lack of decent farewell yeah. is just sit, sitting with the slight disappointment of... I mean, a lot of things in this serial. Like, the Sontarans, it bothers me that they are teaming up with someone and end up getting bested, you know, just through stupid means, really. I don't know, double-crossing. Yeah, but how badass all is that? Kind of, and, yeah, the, the second Doctor doesn't really contribute to the plot. Jamie marginally does, you know, and we end, also end up with... These random, not companions of the week, just random characters of was it Oscar yeah, but and Anita? Aren't they great? <laughs> oh my god, no, they're horrible. <laughs> I love them so much. I felt like Anita was really hard done by because she's clearly the brains of those two, and there are massive swathes of script real estate that could be allocated to her character, but she's just like the doctor addresses him when talking to the two of them rather than talking to her and going like clearly you're the more reasonable of the two of you <laughs> so that that i think was a bummer do you think that the problem here is that they just threw too much at the wall and too much of it stuck like they they just went we're going to try <laughs> A million different things. Oh, wait, hang on. They're all kind of okay. Let's do all of them at once. And then there's no, not enough time for Troughton or for Jamie or, you know, any of these things that you're missing. I mean, a little bit. I think more. They just threw the wrong stuff at the wall. Like, I don't, I do not understand who made a decision to go to Seville and film this. And I feel like, unlike, <laughs> say, something like City of Death, where yep. I friggin' love that being set in Paris and seeing them run around Paris. And maybe it's because I have a soft spot for Paris. That that could mm. be bias on my part. But I also feel like this wasn't showing me Seville. This was a random villa they found and, and shot at. It was some outdoor countryside shots for the most part. And then a little bit running around some back streets of Seville, which could yeah. have been anywhere as far as I was concerned. Like there well, wasn't anything there's recognizable. associated with this. There's, you may have seen this, but this was originally meant to be set in the U.S., this was meant to be set in New Orleans, and there are there were meant to be. I, I can't find the note now, but th- there were meant to be a number of little hints at the cultural divide between the UK and the US, with mm. Colin Baker and Perry being the representatives of those two sort of sides. <laughs> let's call them. 
and only one of the lines just kind of made it through. I think, yeah, I think I see this. I can't uh, find the line now. Doctor saying to, um, to Perry that Columbus has a lot to answer for. That's what it was. Yes, exactly. Yeah, well done. That's exactly what it was. So that fell through for budgetary reasons. They couldn't go to Narlands and film there. So then the runner-up was Venice. They were going to go to Venice and film there. Oh, right. And that might have been a more City of Death-like experience because every yeah. single... Anyone in podcast land who's ever been to Venice, if you just look down literally any little alleyway or any canal, everything is a postcard. Everything is a Kodak moment. And so if you, you couldn't possibly shoot any, plus it's so tiny, so you couldn't possibly shoot anything in Venice and not have it be this very Kodak momenty, romanticized visual experience yeah. that, that Paris was in City of Death. But then that fell through for budgetary reasons. And they went with, all right, so what's the, what, what can we afford? And they were like, Seville. But then they have a script that isn't written for it. They don't have, perhaps they don't have time or permission to shoot in town. So they just shoot a couple of like random little squares that could literally be anywhere. Just, almost anywhere in Europe, certainly. Why? I mean, why? I don't understand. Like with the budget <laughs> shrinking like that, why did no one go at some point, let's just film in Birmingham or something? And, you know, <laughs> it's it has no relevance to the plot whatsoever. That's true. Like... Yeah, that's true. It, it doesn't need be to be there. Anywhere. Yeah, why do they go there? Is there something particular about like what why do they land in Seville? It's is there a techno babble oh, reason for it? Uh, I think just reasons. Yeah, they okay. I think they say something about using that villa because it's it is remote, even though it's only like four four miles out of Seville or something. Yeah, and someone um, lives in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean you could if you want remote Jesus. almost anywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Pick somewhere in the middle of Australia or something, you know. You're only there yeah. for a couple of hours or you're meant to be. Yeah, you, you do not need this. Or why Such even a massive headache land though. on the planet? Just stay in a fucking spaceship or something. God knows yeah, what the hell Yeah, wait, that's a on. much better idea. <laughs> that's such a good idea. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Why the fuck? Did, what, what? No, this is, how did this not enter my brain before? They had this space station. I think yeah, that's what the science there. place is. Yeah. The Sontarans, yeah. I believe, have killed everyone. They've yeah. just got an empty space station that they can do what the hell yeah. they want with. And they leave it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the only person left alive in the space station is Jamie, who is a human. And the reason they go to Earth is because Shockeye wants to eat a human. <laughs> they had one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Don't this go to cereal, the planet. Man. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just eat the guy right in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can totally dig it. <laughs> <laughs> I know for a fact I would not want to have been involved in a classic Who's Who production in any shape or form. They just always what? sound like absolute nightmares. I mean, how do you go from a script set in America? And rewrite it all so it ends up irrelevantly I, set in Seville. I mean, it's, and I it's meant to have references is... to the differences between Americans and English. And then it's all just written out. I mean, it's bonkers. Dude, that works. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare shit on the writing. This was written by Robert Holmes, what's, man. This is... <laughs> what, what's the boat? What's the boat that, you know, you, you, it's had every single panel changed and is it the same boat anymore oh, i mean yeah. that's like every classic <laughs> doctor who script it's just like is it even the same story it can't be like it used to have vampires and bananas and now it's got cheese you know it's just like what <laughs> 
Now it's got cheese. <laughs> See, I'm all about the food as well. Damn it, I'm an androgum. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Okay, well, hang on. While we are at it, this was written by Robert Holmes. Just to give you an indication for anyone in podcast land who isn't aware of what an absolute utter ledge Robert Holmes was. Here's his filmography, Doctor Who filmography. He wrote, The Crotons, The Space Pirates, Spearhead from Space, Terror of the Autons, Carnival of Monsters, The Time Warrior, The Ark in Space, Pyramids of Mars, amazing, The Brain of Morbius, amazing, The Deadly Assassin, The Talons of Wang Choyang, yeah. The Sunmakers, The Rebus Operation, Power of Kroll, Caves of Androzoni, The Two Doctors, and he still has The Mysterious Planet, The Ultimate Foe, and then he also wrote one that never never got made. It was in season 23. But like so prolific, so involved, and so responsible for so much of classic who of where the show mm. went as a as an intellectual property i mean utter utter legend the man clearly had a lot of ideas i think in this case this should have been like maybe he had a fishbowl in his office of just little bits of paper like ideas written on little scraps of paper <laughs> and instead of just like fishing one note out and going oh this is what the episode is going to be about he just dumped the entire fishbowl onto a desk and went there you go act and it's just a little bit too much yeah i mean this is what i'm getting at i i don't understand how their process worked it's just it seems so bonkers and because this apparently had an aborted project called the six six doctors it had elements oh, of yes. that pulled into it as well oh, really? and it's like they just had this pot of ideas you're right like it's just like all this stuff set, uh, sat over here is like, we've not done this bit yet in a Doctor Who serial. How about we try and uh, crowbar that in somewhere? Oh, yes. So there we go. Right, yeah. So the, oh, yeah. Sorry, I've just found this this as well in the trivia. So Robert Holmes recycled the plotline about isolating the Doctor's genetic ability to travel in time from his abandoned anniversary script, The Six Doctors. So, I mean, hang on. Is this an anniversary script? No, no. It's not an anniversary script, is it? This is, we're in 1985. So it's been around for 22 years. Yeah, I don't know why this is a multi-doctor thing at this point, whether it's just they felt like having one. <laughs> mm, okay, fair enough. I wish they had more of them. <laughs> but yeah. so, so he was commissioned to write a different anniversary script just about the genetic, or he was going to, just about that genetic ability to travel in time. That's a, that's like not even half of this serial. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> call it like a, a quarter of this serial is about that. The shit? Like, that's a whole story. You still have 75% of this this serial left. <laughs> and you're just like pumping it full of other episodes. It is a core part of this serial that they took from this abandoned Six Doctors script idea, whatever. But that's, okay, I have questions about this. because And yeah. I think, I think okay. this trivia answers it immediately, but we can discuss. Because okay, is this go. the first time this idea of there being like a symbiotic or, you know, DNA-based thing between Time Lords and Time Travel or Time Lords slash TARDISes, is this the first time this has been talked about? I think so. And I also wanted to talk about this because it <laughs> makes no sense. It's it's definitely the first time that it's been mentioned in Classic Who, at least as far as I'm aware. It makes sense from a Gallifrey and TARDIS point of view. It's like oh, it's like you, you have a particular key. You can't operate the car without a key. You can't operate a TARDIS unless you're the owner of the TARDIS, something to that effect. But we have seen plenty of occasions where people who are not the Doctor operate the TARDIS. We've had yeah. companions operate the TARDIS, I even think without I... the Doctor in it. I think I was interpreting it like, well, 
I didn't quite understand, to be honest, what they were trying to establish here. It seemed a little bit like there was an element of like creating a stable time travel device meant you had to create a symbiotic link with that device. So oh, right. okay. each TARDIS has been symbiotically linked with an individual Time Lord, but then maybe they can work, just be piloted by anyone sort of thing. But... I didn't know if that was explaining what we see more of explicitly referenced, at least in New Who, whereas, you know, this idea that the TARDIS kind of like has a almost telepathic relationship with the Doctor, which and I think we do get that a little bit in classics, don't we, where the TARDIS kind of goes where it needs to go, not necessarily where the Doctor is trying to go. Yeah, that's that's true. And I, oh, you know, what? I wonder if it's the first time in this one, but we also have that, isn't it? Troughton does something. Oh, yeah. I was going to say he snaps his fingers, but he doesn't. He whistles. He wolf whistles. Oh, and yeah. the TARDIS just comes to him. So there's also like a, there's a bond there of some sort. I didn't know if that was just a fancy remote, though, because they talk about this remote remote device and he has a no, physical thing true. and then he whistles yeah. for some reason as well. Yeah, I don't sorry. Know. <laughs> I take it back. That's a good point. But yeah, I found it interesting that this was, I mean, it's, it's obviously the, a core part of the plot that the Sontarans and Chazanet are trying to get the DNA of a Time Lord or some some genetic piece from a Time Lord to make time travel work for them. I can't remember what the phrase the Doctor's always saying is. I can't remember if it was like stable time travel machine or, you know, it was it was something like you could do like dirty time travel without this, but to be able to have like unlimited time travel, you really need this missing link sort of thing. That that actually answers the question I was going to ask you. The we we've had a number of other time traveling species in Doctor Who. I mean, the Daleks travel through time, right? Yeah, and they don't have that. At least as far as we're aware, they don't have that symbiotic relationship with their time machines it's just occasionally they're clever enough to build a time machine and they use it and it's just a like a spaceship it's a time ship so maybe maybe the two scientists on camera that's the name of the space station maybe the two scientists there have just they haven't figured out the dirty kind of time travel they have however somehow coincidentally built a gallifreyan time machine and there's that missing component which is gallifreyan dna that will make it work properly yeah maybe yeah, there are just But then we also have the, Sunt- the, the Sontarans yeah. built a time machine without or is that the time machine built by the scientists on on camera? I honestly I wasn't quite sure. For a while I thought there were two kind of competing methods of time travel being worked on here. So Chesney okay. and I think that might be right. Starry had one and then I thought the little box thing was the Sontaran machine. And, yeah, so did I actually, yeah. Uh, but then it seemed that everyone was just working with this box. <laughs> and that was just the one time travel device. I don't know. I didn't understand. Yeah. So, so I mean, if that is the Sontaran time travel device, why even bring up that there are two scientists on camera who are working on time travel? Like That, to me, makes no sense. We never meet those I... scientists. We never get to see their time machine. I'm still mostly would... convinced that the Sontarans didn't do anything. They didn't have time travel at their fingertips they maybe just were swooping the, in to maybe take... they stole the time machine oh you think maybe, maybe that's the time machine that was developed in... on oh sorry go ahead sorry yeah but if, if that was developed on camera by those two scientists yeah. why do the Sontarans need to be there that's just the starry and chesney's plan they have access to that because they're on the station why do the Sontarans need to be involved yeah. was it just do they are they just using them as hired guns 
So they go in and wipe out everyone on the station so that Dastari and Chesney can get access to this time machine? I mean, yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It just doesn't... Yeah. Oh, this is definitely a case of we're copy-pasting two scripts together and <laughs> because they overlap a little bit. But rather than take part of that overlap out of it so that it's one cohesive story, we now have two stories mashed together and it doesn't really make sense. Oh, none of this makes sense. Oh, God. I just can't. Every time I like close my eyes, I just like pitch people walking around in Seville or something. And I'm just like, why? Why did this happen? <laughs> why did I have to watch stupid scenes with Andragon, Doctor, and Shokai having spent, God knows, what was the number? That, it was like 80,000, whatever, Spanish pesos on food. And I don't know what, what amount that actually equates to in a denomination I understand, but. I feel like that's not possible. I don't think anyone could have that much food in a restaurant to hand it over to your guests. Okay, hang on. So, well, when were... Oh, here we go. Italy, Spanish peseta. When was that? Because Spain is on the euro now, aren't they? So the Spanish peseta... Oh, my goodness. I'm going to find out. I, I want to find out. I want to know exactly how much this is. Okay, so it's probably about £5,000. Maybe just I mean, under £5,000. That's... That's a shit ton of money. That's really <laughs> hard to do. Like, yeah. unless you're so, in a place where there's like a 5,000 bottle of wine and you just, there you go, done. Which yeah, I didn't feel like this was that They place. had like 40 bottles of wine. The, <laughs> what, what, what I don't understand is twofold. A, <laughs> why, why, why does the restaurant let this go on? Why don't they at a certain point go... Normally, when when our when our customers pass the one thousand pound mark, we ask <laughs> yeah. just to hold a credit card on the side just to be on the safe side. Exactly. Can we do that, and then we'll happily take more orders? Like, why don't they let that happen? And secondly, when Troughton is turned back into a t- time lord or is you know unandragumed, why doesn't he just explode? <laughs> like, <laughs> why don't we get a scene which is Oscar the waiter going up to them and just going? You have this. It is a wafer thin. Wow. This one, one more mint, a wafer thin. And Troughton just throws up everywhere and explodes. Like, why, why don't we get that? I mean, A, I'm very glad we don't get that. That scene never leaves my head. Every now and again, it pops into my head. And it's like, oh, that's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Mr. Creus out from Monty Python's The Meaning of Life, for those that aren't aware. Yeah, so good. Um, <laughs> No, it's a, it's a very Can interesting point. But this, this, sorry, sorry, I say this is a serial where Sixth Doctor talks about being able to just shut down his respiratory system so he doesn't get gassed out. And Perry asks, well, how did you breathe? And he goes, oh, it's complicated or something like that. <laughs> Perfect. I so, don't need yeah. more. I don't need Technobabble at that point. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, they're they're already quite happy to do stuff like that. So you can hand wave yeah. that, I don't know, Time Lords have very elastic stomachs or whatever. <laughs> yeah, they've got gills in their anuses. Like, that. <laughs> they can breathe. So don't worry about it. Okay. So, <laughs> please can we talk about Oscar? <laughs> <laughs> or Moth Guy, as he's in my notes for most of it. <laughs> oh, Moth Guy. <laughs> Yeah. And the yeah. most blatant Chekhov's cyanides scene ever. <laughs> it's in my notes. It's in my notes. <laughs> it's in your notes. <laughs> Chekhov's cyanide. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't actually think about that when we were first told about the cyanide. But as soon as it came back, I was like, oh, yeah, it's Chekhov's cyanide. <laughs> <laughs> 
I picked up on two Chekhov's situations, and okay. one of them came out true. That was the cyanide, and the other one, not at all. And the other one was when Colin Baker's doctor goes to the space station. He has a very brief conversation with the computer, and the computer, like, we've heard the computer in voiceover at one point, and it, it seems to have a personality. In fact, it's voiced by the same actor who plays Dastari, I believe. So it's... Oh, right. like it, it, it's it's very clever AI. It's, it's, you know, personable AI. And Colin Baker says something like, I've spoken to a lot of computers, and that does not sound like a computer to me. And then they just continue with the scene as though it's, you know, it's just a, it's an AI. And then, it try, you know, the AI tries to kill them. It flushes out the oxygen or whatever. I was convinced that we were going to find out that it was not a computer and that actually there was uh... someone else. Like, maybe actual Dastari was hidden inside the computer just talking <laughs> to a speaker or whatever. Like, you know, something to that effect did not at all transpire. No, but that's a, that is an interesting thing because that's, that's another thing where, like, why was this part of it? Like, this computer that is trying to kill them like they're on a space station everyone's dead this is sorry yep. six doctor and perry they're wandering around they are, you know having to work out what's going on they need to stumble across jamie all of that yep. could have happened quite naturally without a computer trying to kill them and then them going to disable the computer and then it we have this thing weird moment where it's like oh, Doc's accidentally turned off the computer's speech circuits. So they don't have to have the computer as a character anymore. Like, they establish <laughs> it as a character to, to basically then write it out and say, yeah, I don't know how to use this computer anymore, but people will think it's weird if the computer isn't saying anything, I guess. So let's just, yeah, Doc accidentally turned it off. it off. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. There's a plug in the wall, right? There's a socket. Maybe Jamie stumbles on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that doesn't make any sense. The, everything that happens on that space station is nonsensical. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, God. I did no, not wait, enjoy hang on. this, wait, wait, <laughs> I'm so sorry that you didn't. Wait, hang on. I'm not done with Oscar yet, though. Oscar oh, sorry, sorry. is <laughs> surely the most charming, eccentric chap ever. <laughs> Speaking so I fondly, mean... so romantically about moths. <laughs> Yeah, but so proud of his acting career, and then <laughs> working to oh, make no, ends meet just... as a waiter in this in this sadly soon to fail restaurant. Where, by the bankrupted way, he is yeah bankrupted, and where, by the way, he is stabbed in front of patrons who subsequently continue to eat. No <laughs> one cares. He is has just been murdered in this restaurant, and everyone's just like, yeah, so. Can I get some more wine, please? Um, <laughs> some breadsticks over here? What? Fuck <laughs> off! So, so well, who's our waiter now, then? Uh, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> Someone in the background might go like, oh, great. Well, at least we don't need to leave a tip now. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how it plays out, though. I mean, even even Doc. Yeah. Doc and Doc. I mean, the, the second Doctor is only just recovered from being an androgum and is a bit out of it as he leaves. But Sixth Doctor basically just grabs him and goes. Perry has a brief moment of, oh, he's dead. And then, nope, that's it. Done. Guy just gets yeah. stabbed right in front of him. In, yeah, in the middle of a busy restaurant. No one gives a shit. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's actually really tragic because up until this point, he's he's been the kind of character that I would never in a million years expect to die. Certainly not brutally mm. murdered. And Yeah, I assumed goes... he was acting. <laughs> I really did. And then, <laughs> yes! Then... Oh my god, that's such a good idea. That would have been a perfect retro rewrite. Have him 
prove his acting chops by acting as though he is dying and there's like someone at a nearby table is a is a theater agent and he just gets a job <laughs> then and there <laughs> yes i think it wasn't helped oh. out by the the makeups prosthetic I don't, I don't know who's in control of this tiny centimeter of blood that was put onto his jacket and yeah somehow this is enough to kill him but somehow he's ma- managed to give a quote from hamlet just before he dies oh, yeah. the whole thing was just bullshit i'm sorry you know what i'm fine with that i'm fine with that dude <laughs> <laughs> this is great <laughs> okay here's a question see if you are fine with this as well it's becoming a pattern i think this happened maybe oh. not the last serial but a recent serial so this is sixth doctor's james bond-esque quotes when someone dies often i think oh I think it was when he didn't directly kill them the first time. It was when two guys fell into like an acid pool or something like that. Yes, you're right. He made some quiff about it. This one, he straight up kills Shockeye and then makes a James Bond quip. Yeah, you're right. What does he say? I actually can't remember. I didn't write down what the line was. But yeah, I'm I'm not okay with this. I feel like this is a really weird trait for the Doctor. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, in general, this is a really violent episode. Everyone dies, by the way. Absolutely everyone except for Anita, right? Anita survives, I think. Yeah, she's she's still in the restaurant, isn't she? So she survives. Oh, and obviously the companions and the, and the doctors. Chesney dies. The Sontarans get like imploded slash exploded slash melted. They bleed yeah. to death like really horrendously. How does he murder Shockeye? Does he stab him? He uses the cyanide on on Shockeye. That was the Chekhov shock. Oh, that's cyanide. what it was. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so he gets poisoned. It's Dastari gets killed somehow. He gets lasered. I think like flipping heck. This is this is some violent shit. And the Doctor yeah. plays an active part in that. Yeah, no, definitely. I found the the line actually. He says, "You're just the desserts." Because obviously Shockeye oh, right. has just yeah. stuffed his face full of stuff. Yeah. It's not entirely doctory. The doctor should be better than that. And wait, wait, wait. But he I has, think this is a double like, this is a double whammy, because then the doctor meets oh. up with the rest of them and I think they've they've managed to deal with their situation and Jamie is kind of saying, Oh, you know, except for that Shockeye, sick Doctor Watts in and goes, He's been mothballed because he yes. got him with the, the moth catching net. That's right, yeah. It's a double James Bond yeah. death quip. <laughs> okay, slight hypocrisy on my part, but although I prefer the Doctor to just be a good person, I enjoyed The Saint, you know? <laughs> and that's kind of what I really liked about Pertwee's Doctor. There was a there was a lot of The Saint in that performance. Yeah. And every now and then, returning to some of those sensibilities, just that very Bondian, campy, cool, that nonchalant attitude to dispensing with bad guys... Sometimes it's it's I can dig it. What I don't like is the the actual killing aspect of it. But if he's gonna be quippy about it, that I can live with. That's interesting. I think I'd be the opposite. Like I feel like Oh well, you're times to where... murdering people. Well, not murdering people, but there are a lot of situations <laughs> that the doctor finds themselves in where like people are trying to murder them. Well, you know, and they have guns and all this kind of stuff. And it's often convoluted that the Doctor gets out of it by just speaking to them or sonicking something or, you know, all these kind of stuff. Yeah. And sometimes it makes more sense that the Doctor fights back. But to then stand over a dead body and say, ah, you're just desserts, (laughs) you know, that's (laughs) that's cold as shit, man. (laughs) 
what might have happened is Robert Holmes had in his file of facts or in his Rolodex just so many James Bond one-liners. And at a certain point, he maybe just went, they're never going to let me write a Bond movie. I really want to write a Bond <laughs> movie, but I'm never going to have a chance. Fuck it. I'm, I'm chucking them into this. <laughs> okay, on the subject of violence... There is a scene where the second Doctor now turned into an Andragum in collaboration with, uh, what's his face, Shockeye, the, the actual Andragum. They hijack oh, yeah. a truck and bludgeon the driver. Well, the yes. Shockeye bludgeons him. They jump in the truck, they drive to Seville. The sixth Doctor shows up, <laughs> sees the bludgeon driver on the sides. Jamie even goes, I can't believe my Doctor did that. But they don't check if the driver's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, they do nothing. No. They just somehow make their way to Seville. I can't remember how they make their way to Seville. Maybe they bludgeon someone and steal their car for all I know. You know, I have no idea. I think I assume they walked, but somehow they They get back quickly. How do they catch up with them? They had a fucking truck. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, they beat someone up. We never cut back to that guy. Shouldn't we maybe have had a scene of him after the Sixth Doctor and Cole have left screen? That guy just stands up and, you know, touches the back of his head and goes, oh, what just happened? So we know he's okay. Or at the very least, when they're later on in Seville, they're running around. We just pan by a like a funeral service and we have his crying widow and his four oh, children <laughs> just, just so that we understand that there was there was a significant loss here <laughs> he was an upstanding member of the community like the everyone mourns this guy <laughs> or at the restaurant they're like you know where's where's uh, we'd never get to know his name where's pedro where's alessandro you know <laughs> he's meant to be arriving in his truck full of wine no mention of him no anyway sorry oh that really got me yeah no i think that's fair i think i think you could have easily just had him come round at the bottom of the hill you know he just got smacked around the back i think actually more than anything and yeah so he oh that's true fell, yeah fell down the hole was a bit dazed and someone could just go over and say no he's okay and maybe yeah. maybe a sick doctor has to go it, he'll be fine we have to leave him we've got to go like which i think this sick, sick doctor is a little bit cold in that aspect and i think it would fit yeah very that, much so like we, no one can stay with him. We're just going to have to leave him. But I think he'll be okay. Yeah, yeah, true. So I have a lot of questions still. There's only maybe a couple I'm going to pick out. Just hopefully they're okay. not too in depth. Possibly imagine why you would have more questions about this. But go ahead. <laughs> well, this this is more me inquiring what you think about it actually, because mm-hmm. telepathy I think is like hypnosis, telepathy, general kind of traits of the mind is established in Doctor Who, definitely classic Who. Yeah. But in this one, there was a specific mention that I wasn't sure if was like a new side of this, where the Doctor talked about the astral plane. Oh, is this the scene where he goes, I'm going to lie down, no one talk to me, because otherwise I might just implode as a human being, or as a person. And he communicates (laughs) in some way telepathically with the second Doctor. Yeah, so I think at that time the second Doctor is maybe unconscious, but he yeah uses it as a link to work out where the second Doctor is. I think he hit, I think this is the bit where he hears the bells and is like, oh yes, that's the church bells of blah 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 in Seville. Yeah, that's right. It's like, oh, and there's something about cutting my hair, and then he hums the, the a couple of bars from the Barbara. Oh, that's, that's what the music you. is. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah, that. yeah, uh. yeah. <laughs> I think this is new. There have been some instances of 
some kind of telepathy, surely. But I mean, I don't remember there being a scene of the Doctor just going, okay, no one say a word. I'm just going to astrally project across the universe, across time and space and see where my body is. I don't don't remember that ever having happened. No, I I found it a bit odd. Like, I feel like they could have explained it away in a different form, because considering it was the Doctor communicating or trying to locate a version of himself, like, I feel like that could have been MacGuffined in a different way rather than saying... So the actual line was something like, there's no such thing as time on the astral plane. I think Perry had asked oh, how long he would be, you know, in, in this state. And it's like, it could be minutes, it could be days or whatever. Um, right. But it's just this, this offhand yeah, remark about the astral plane. Yeah, I don't remember that ever coming up before, but it could very easily have been explained away. He could just say, well, clearly there's something happening. Given that I'm suddenly with past selves. I mean, like he, he calls back to Tom Baker, to Pertwee, I think, and certainly to Troughton with the recorder and whatever else. He talks about jelly babies, for example. There are, because of that, he could say, there's, there's clearly something going on with my past selves in a way that must be projected into the astral plane. I'm going to project myself in there and see what I can find, rather than here's a neat gimmick that I, that I have in order to contact versions of me that have long since died. <laughs> like the, That's a super yeah. weird thing to be able to do. I'm just going to talk I mean, to you... myself from 10 years ago. That's okay, right? Yeah, no problem. <laughs> yeah, it could be some kind of like temporal memory, even though like time was yeah. changing, you know, yeah. Blah. Anywho, yeah, I what found he that. He says, no one talk to me weird. because uh, otherwise I might be a goner. I, I can't remember what he says exactly, but there are clearly severe consequences if anyone interrupts this process. Yeah. And Perry and Jamie immediately start interrupting him. <laughs> they just immediately start talking to him. And there are no consequences. <laughs> yeah. No, that was... Yeah, it was weird. Okay. The okay. So the other couple of... I'm trying try to be quick. Questions I have vaguely surrounding the Sontarans. One's more just a continuity thing. So Jamie acts like he knows who a Sont- knows what and who Sontarans are. Because oh. he talks to someone basically saying... Oh, I think it's maybe Oscar. Like, they're breaking the news to Oscar that everyone's aliens. And obviously he's like, what? No, that can't be the case. And like, what's the Sontaran? And Jamie, Jamie says, oh, I hope you never meet one and find out or something like that. It's like, what the fuck do you know, Jamie? Sontarans didn't come in until the Time Warrior. You've never met a Sontaran as far as I'm aware. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just had to double check that as well on whobackwhen.com. Yeah, you're right. Could it be that there is a an allusion to an unseen adventure between the second Doctor and Jamie? I don't know. Maybe part I of mean, the whole season six B thing. Maybe that. Yeah. Maybe there is something. Maybe there's a an audio thing perhaps that follows up. It or has ha- even happened in between at this point. I'm not sure. But I, it struck me as odd. Like I having you know only reviewed the latter bits of classic. Like I was pretty darn certain i watched the thing where sontarans were introduced i mean introduced no less than by robert holmes like he created them yeah and to then go wait i haven't seen serials with jamie in how does he know about sontaran yeah i have no other suggestion for you i mean it's either that or it's that he's okay a a counter question for you how long a time has passed since the sixth since the second doctor was taken away from the station like effectively how long has jamie been on this station when colin baker shows up i did because he has gone fucking feral oh wait wait wait, this bit okay yeah i don't know i'm not sure what the time frame is meant to be i mean maybe it's a heck of a long time maybe they were on the station for you know months before they went to seville Oh and wait, what am I talking about? Experience that this is this is yeah. He's seen the Sontarans killing everyone on the station. It's just we never saw yeah. that, so just blank. Maybe that's the experience. 
yeah, yeah. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah, so maybe actually that is enough. Yeah, maybe that guess, is enough. <laughs> I guess the question is, what did he see? Because he survives. Like, they kill everyone on this station, yeah. and somehow he survived. And it's never clear how. It's never clear if he just hid. Because I think he runs yeah. away quite early on, doesn't he? Doesn't the doctor send him away, and then the doctor gets Yeah, killed? I guess so. I mean, he goes... He's somewhere behind that wall, or, you know, behind the scenes in the among the pipes. Yeah. And eating goodness knows what... <laughs> Uh, and somehow, I mean, he somehow he survives. He has gone absolutely not so back there. Yeah, I don't. Well, I don't think that makes clothes sense. ripped and everything. Like maybe he's yeah. been there for a while, and maybe the Centaurans left some troops behind, and he's just seen them in action more so than just the. I mean, I say just in inverted commas. You know, just the killing of all the scientists on the station. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's what I was missing. Is that it felt to me we hadn't established that Jamie had interacted with Sontarans in this serial. And so I was I was thrown out of this serial to think when he could have otherwise interacted with them. But I guess the assumption is that he saw something, be it the after effects or actual yeah. killings and actual, you know, Sontaran soldiers. But ah. if this is a reference to season six B, then I would advise any everyone in Podcast Land, go to whobackone.com and just like you know what, just like search for six B because Cecilia Doss wrote a few blog posts that touch on this. In fact one that like is specifically about the the myth of season six B, which possibly springs out of this possibly springs out of the five doctors possibly you know like there's it's this season that didn't happen shouldn't have happened but somehow must have happened anyway there's there's lots to be had in there and who knows maybe there are experiences there as well that he could be referring back to mm, interesting okay so yeah Sontarans in the bank who knows podcast land pop a comment on the website and we've probably missed a whole bunch about the Sontarans do that something we haven't talked about at all Perry, what do you think of Perry? How's Perry in this? How is Perry in this? I mean, she definitely turns into a damsel. Yeah. Or rather, no, she doesn't turn into a damsel. She is turned into a damsel by the script. That already happened which, the last time, I think. Yeah. I think the, the the thing is, I mostly enjoy Perry. And this, you know, the vibrato trait seems to either mostly be absent or entirely absent now. And I'm enjoying yeah. the characterization a lot lot more. And I think mostly the interactions between her and the Sixth Doctor are, are pretty good these days. But they also, at the same time, are often in the cringy land. They just love love doing stupid little interactions between them. I think there was one earlier on where Perry had an idea about something. And then the Doctor like regurgitated that idea after something else had happened. And yes, you're she right. recognizes it. It's it's just her idea, and she like gives an eye roll and just lets it slide, sort of thing. I don't know. It could have been a nice moment, but I think it just came across as really cringy. Yeah, it's difficult not to. At least for me, it's difficult not to view that through a sort of as having been written or directed through a bit of a sexist lens. Yeah, the, exactly. the Doctor very often has had this situation with companions where, at this point, he doesn't listen to them but then just has the exact same idea and kind of Time Lord splains it back to them. Yeah. But, but here, the person whom he's mansplaining it to is, I, more so in this episode than in previous episodes, is robbed of much of her agency, robbed of many potential lines. And uh, I feel like the camera is kind of focusing on a particular part of her body as well. The, it, I mean, maybe I'm I mean, about that as well, but... We we keep moving from a tight top to a cleavagey top, you know, with this character. They they know full well what they are doing 
and they don't yeah. care about it, you know. No, not at all. But I, mean, I feel like in this serial, there were even like really blatant scenes where for no reason whatsoever, they have her bend over. You know, she's she's just reaching for right. something or whatever it is. It's just like, this is, it's it's getting a little gross here. Come on, yeah. the, you don't need to do this. People who want to, if, if that's what, what they're after, they tend to go to other IPs. Like they, they tend to go to different forms of entertainment or wh- whatever else. It's a bit odd to have so many blatant scenes of objectification on Doctor Who. But, I mean, besides that, I I like her. I like her so much more now than I did in the beginning. Yeah, I think that she does have a little bit of agency in this. She's, she's robbed of it quite frequently. Like, I didn't quite understand why she acts as a diversion when they, they decide to go and rescue a second Doctor, I think it is, from the, oh, yeah. the villa. Like, she goes in on her own and... She does that quite competently, but yeah. it just seemed but why? a bizarre setup. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> that's a, that's such a good point. I mean, it honestly, it made me roll my eyes quite a bit as well because I didn't understand why any of the villains were entertaining the fact that this random human woman has wandered into their their plans, and then they go yeah. for some reason. Oh, we should move the doctor. Not not like quietly from some back room to another back room no let's wheel him in front of this random person that we know is already there and no this, absolutely. this whole setup just no I that makes no understand. sense you're right it's <laughs> dumb it's absolutely dumb <laughs> but at least perry was performing a role in that and well you know unfortunately she then did the cliche of being chased by shock eye and tripping over and that was that was a cliffhanger for fuck's sake i mean that was terrible <laughs> <laughs> and shock eye very I mean, this is another one of those where I feel like there's a there's an alternative reading. I, and this is not me, I think. This is not me being like a a, a, a dirty man or anything. I feel like the, the there is a, a separate version of this or a separate reading of that scene where Shokai is just a dirty old man. He's a bit of a, a perv because he's talking about how she's so pretty and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Like her, her juicy flesh and whatever else. He's talking about this in culinary terms. But he's doing that whilst looming over a very skimpily dressed woman. Yeah, in 1985. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, everyone. Knows no, no. I mean, I totally, I got that as well. Like the the phrasing of I can't remember what he said, pretty or beauty or you know, he's referencing yeah. her physical appearance at the same time as wanting to eat her. Like it's someone going yeah. up to a a rabbit and saying, you know, you're the most beautiful creature I've ever seen. No, I'm gonna put you in a stew. Uh, like it's yeah. a weird concept, and yeah, it feels like someone was intentionally doing it to make it feel like a perverted scene. I don't know why, but yeah, yeah, I agree. And who who directed this? Like, I think there was. Oh, that's a very good question. There was a trivia thing saying that Robert Holmes didn't feel like this was well directed. Um, yeah, maybe that's I can't remember who it was now. Peter Moffat. Oh, that's another legend. Another person who's been around for quite some time. Yeah. So State of the the visitation mordrin undead five doctors so multi-doctor thing yeah twin dilemma and then this one there was one other little perry thing that she did quite like which was a, a throwback to the fifth doctor where when sixth doctor is feeling a bit wobbly at the start of this because of what's happening to the second doctor at the same like time in quotes right yeah she suggests having some celery and a yes. i like that callback and b i nice. like that it came from perry you know she was she was making good yeah that's so true yeah yeah good stuff so yeah i think as is probably going to be always the case with perry because because of the objectification that they are 
intent on putting in in every serial and you know taking away her agency it's a bit of a mixed bag and yeah yeah, very much unfortunately yeah we probably just have to settle into that pattern yeah well right unless you've got anything else how about we try and rate this let's do exactly that And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 Ratings. Shazamatron, and welcome to the hour mini section of this podcast episode. I would like to doff my cap at you, sir. Well played. Podcast Land Jim masterfully won the fingertip on tip of nose game there. So I am starting with my mini, and I really want to start by saying how incredibly pleased I was to see Troughton back on screen. He is such a jovial and witty doctor that he's simply a delight to behold. Interestingly, I find him jovial towards everyone except for his future self in interactions with whom he instead becomes as surly as his future self at least used to be towards everyone else. Like the their farewell, for example, being a being mm. an insult. As for the sixth doctor, it, I have not changed my opinion of him. I really enjoy him, perhaps even more so in this one than than before. Would also like to point out different white cat brooch than before. Should maybe put together some sort of gallery of that on whobackone.com. <laughs> like a run vindex of his white uh, of his cat brooches. Companions, we just talked about Perry, so you already know how I feel about her role here. Jamie and Colin, though, I think have great chemistry. I would rarely advocate having more than one companion aboard, but they they could make such a great trio if he joined Team TARDIS. Plenty of foes in this one, none of them entirely fleshed out, but nonetheless highly enjoyable. Chesney is cartoonishly evil, but lacks motivation. The Tooch is simply fabulous, but lacks a comprehensive backstory. Shockeye had his entire species are on... Like we were going to talk about this, we didn't talk about this, but they're a they're an ethical nightmare. <laughs> However, I still find him utterly hilarious. That being said, he also lacks a balanced description of intelligence. Like, is he really that dumb? Doesn't seem like it to me. And if the Andragum are truly that severely unintelligent, would you really employ them as your cooks? Don't think so. You get some great lines. I'm not interested in the beliefs of primitives, only in what they taste like. Or shepherd's pie? A shepherd? Can't we walk quicker? Great stuff. <laughs> I also really like that he kept referring to humans as Tylurians. If I understood that correctly, that's a pretty pretty good bit of writing. I mean, it's a clever bit of writing. Our names for uh, alien species would not be the same as what they call themselves. I mean, like even across countries, across languages on our planet, we don't call other countries and their languages and their populations the same as they call themselves. So I think that was a nice touch. Oscar was also a delight. I really wanted to finagle in a line in the B-Scow about how he, quote, adored mounting ladies of the night, but I forgot, so I'm ham-fisting it in here instead. And by the way, it was in an episode of Poirot in The Lost Mine. Production value, this is another plus for me. I mean, if it's unclear, these are all in the plus column for me. Production value is no different. Very impressive sets. The space station and the Suntar, after the Suntaran sort of calamitous invasion stands out. Great costume, loved the Tucci's suit and his glasses. Huge explosions, fake blood. The only thing that sort of stands out as a little poor are the Sontaran masks because I thought they were more versatile the last time they were on screen. If I had to pick out the biggest flaw, <laughs> then I'm really sorry, but it's it's frankly that the science just doesn't hold up. We never learn anything about time travel or that time travel research. The, the whole symbiotic relationship with time travel isn't fully explored. The genetic engineering aspect of it is just really farcical. Main takeaway, I'll round it off here, is Patrick Troughton was a comedic genius and you have successfully talked me down, or we have successfully talked me down. I wanted to originally 4.4. But don't worry, it's still super high because I'm giving this (laughs) 4.0. Oh my god. (laughs) 
Holy moly. That that heart measuring device you use, I think you need to get a bigger one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, your turn. <laughs> That's a very very nice mini. I think Thanks. first time in a first time in a long time I actually don't agree with a lot of your points. Like normally we disagree wow. like maybe on the, the number. But <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean we I think we do both basically both agree that the the villains aren't great. It's not clear what the motivations are. I don't personally buy that the Sontarans are trying to team up with someone. I don't really understand why Chesney and Dastari want to bring the Sontarans in and do a team up. I don't yeah. really buy that Dastari is an evil genius character or you know mad scientist type thing. I mean, maybe it's just his look as well, but this established backstory <laughs> that he's friends with the Doctor, and then he does have a moment at the end where he you know doesn't want to kill everyone, and like, I don't know, it just never quite worked as a character for me in general. I also have I have absolutely no idea what Chesney was trying to get out of this all. It just other than oh time travel, yay! Like it was just <laughs> purely no clear motivation other than technology sort of thing, and it was just really weak. Bringing such strong elements, like individually, like Chesney, I think was the best of that bunch. Actually, Sontarans are a good foe, but weren't very well used. And yeah, you know, all these things were just mashed together. And I think everything was lesser because of it. Like maybe if it had just been Sontarans or it had just been Chesney and Dastari, it would have been more interesting. But yeah, agreed. That's not what we got. And maybe yeah, you know, maybe because we have so many villains and we have some side characters, which I'll get onto. I feel like the, the other big sin of this serial is the second Doctor and Jamie were underused. I did a quick scan through the transcript. This is not obviously the best way of like getting a feel for whether a character is being well used or not. But the second Doctor is only saying lines a little bit more than Shockeye. And Shockeye is saying lines more than Jamie. And hmm. that just seems a bit weird for a multi-Doctor story where you're bringing in an old companion. They're, they're not contributing to the plot as much as a secondary villain they're not on screen yeah, and delivering dialogue as much or you know not much more than a secondary villain which i think is a is a real shame i don't feel like i came out of this serial not you know i didn't know the second doctor really other than like i say even other than the five doctors i don't know jamie at all i don't feel like i came out of this serial knowing those characters either and that's that seems a real shame it's in a kind of vein i guess yeah like like i just said when we were talking about perry i think we have to accept we're just always going to get this mixed bag of She's mostly good now. Like they definitely struggled a bit earlier on with Perry as a character. Seemed to be settling into knowing how to use her and work with the sixth doctor. But yeah, we get this lack of agency that's it's cropping up all the time, which is a real shame. And yeah, the fact that she just trips over while running and then gets thrown over Shockeye's shoulder was just ugh, really, really weak. Come on, nineteen eighty five, Doctor Who, you can do better. <laughs> To balance that out, though, I agree as well with Colin Baker's Doctor is a joy to watch and I think stole this serial for me. Like, I love, I mentioned this last time, I think, I love when the Doctor is one step ahead and he is again here. He's second guessing what motivations might be there for the villains and we don't really understand them. But, you know, he at least knows that, you know, their plot is to do this, their next step is this. He's making comments to Jamie knowing that the Sontarans are going to overhear it and then, you know, getting himself purposely put in situations where he can, you know, sabotage the time travel machine and all this kind of stuff. He's 
very much in command and and Colin Baker knows how to perform with that mm. kind of a role as well and it was for the most part very very good the the negatives being those bond quips and there are a few other moments thrown in so I've got a quote I'm going to throw out which is a big negative this is what the doctor says to Perry at one point oh, oh do try and use your brain my girl small though it is the human brain can be quite effective when used properly and <laughs> it just seems like, I don't know. I just, I'm not really loving those moments. They seem to crop up every now and again, still with the sixth Doctor. We had that early on. It felt like we had erased it a little bit, but they're still just cropping up from time to time. And it's just quite jarring sometimes. Yeah. The other thing we have in this, like I did hint at earlier, is side characters which are taking up time that could have been used for, say, the second Doctor and Jamie. And side characters I really don't care about. And apparently neither does anyone else because Oscar dies in a restaurant full of people and then just everyone moves on <laughs> quite <laughs> happily. <laughs> Nothing of value was lost. And I have to unfortunately end with the thing that just I couldn't enjoy in the slightest through the serial. Maybe, oh no, maybe that's oh. too harsh. Maybe there is the occasion where Shokai is with the second Doctor. There is a little bit of comedy duo stuff going on that, yeah, your quote about the shepherd pie, shepherd's pie was, was quite funny. But in general, the character of Shokai, the portrayal of that character, I really didn't get on board with it. I didn't get on board with just just so many scenes with talk about food. And like I dread to think how much of this serial is just watching people talk about food from from one angle or another. Yeah. And just the <laughs> just the really obvious hammer that is being used to say, eat meat bad. And no no kind of nuance put into it no suggestion of what a better thing would be to do no real grounding of how it fits in with 1985 society on earth in real life just mm. nonsense and comedy portrayals which i don't think worked and so i didn't didn't enjoy a lot of this unfortunately i found myself sort of struggling to watch it like put myself through it partly because it was you know it's three parts at 45 it's way longer each. than everything It's a else, yeah. long, it's a long serial. So unfortunately, I am very much the other end of the scale, my friend. <laughs> and <laughs> I haven't touched the number I wrote down before we started because I've just, I've been negative all over this and I've not let you talk me up. I'm, I'm sorry about that. No, I'm sorry um, that I failed. So I'm, I'm still at a 1.0. 1.0? Oh, <laughs> hey, with our powers combined, a perfect score. <laughs> Amazing. Wow, this is, I think this might just be the biggest difference in ratings that we've given anything. Possibly. Mm. Yeah. yeah, controversial moment. I did love this. <laughs> That's so solid. That is incredible. <laughs> love it. Right, okay. <laughs> well, we have a number of listener minis. How about we have a listen to what they have to say and see if they will side with you or with me? That absolutely has to happen. <laughs> Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. What up, and welcome to the listener mini section of this podcast episode. We've got not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven. Oh, wait, hang on, back up a bit. We've got six listener minis. And yeah, I'm pretty excited Woo-hoo. about the range. First out the gates, we've got Richie Von Sexington. Hello, Richie. 
Hello, Richie. Richie says, there wasn't an idea turned down for this one. Dastari looking like the coolest man in the club while working with Santarans to conquer time travel using the second Doctor's gene so they can start their time machine, therefore totally ruining the sixth Doctor's day. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that should be enough, says Richie. But no, no, au contraire, mon fluffy sausage. There are side plots which include nature versus nurture, moth catching, and the genesis of competitive eating. <laughs> Doc and Doc have some good screen time, and I like the two personalities clashing. Do I care that the second Doctor and wee little Jamie have aged bringing forth the fabled Series 6B idea? Not at all. Does it make sense? Probably not. But then we can blame the cross time tracks for that. So Richie says, I'll give this a four out of five. I'll pay the bill for them, Oscar. <laughs> a four out of five, you say, Richie. <laughs> That is a pretty good rating. Or oh, what do you think, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> I think I... <laughs> this is the thing that happened. Yes, there we go. <laughs> Thank you so much, Richie von Sexington. People who are not Richie can follow Richie on Twitter at what, Jim? Why, of course, it's uh, Richie Sexington. <sighs> Thanks, Richie. Thank you, Richie. Who's next? It's Mr. Ed Corbett. It's Ed Corbett or Ed Corbett. It's one of those. That's right, it's Ed. Hello, Ed. Boom. Hello, Ed. <laughs> Ed starts, this is the one where a space cannibal takes Doc out for lunch, stiffs him for the bill, murders the manager, and then gets brutally murdered by the doctor? <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. Redacted, a section on continuity issues. Because it doesn't matter, because, yay, Troughton's back! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Baker definitely states the Time Lords would never have carried out the murders on the space station, which shows a lot of faith in them, considering everything he knows about them and certain genocides they may have asked him to carry out. <laughs> Good point. Donna Maria overhears Shokai speaking and recognizes it as English. Does this mean that he has learned English, even though he considers humans non-sentient? Or did she not understand him and just assume he must be English? Making this a comment on attitudes towards British tourist support. <laughs> I love it. It's <laughs> very Possibly. good. Possibly. <laughs> Ed continues, I believe there were complaints about the violence in this one at the time, especially regarding Oscar's murder, but this is the guy that leaves jars containing enough cyanide to kill a man just lying around in a field. Seriously, Oscar, some kids could have found that. So who is the real villain? It's still <laughs> Shockeye, but my point remains valid. <laughs> yes. Ingenious, uh, Ed. Well done. Both, both valid <laughs> criticisms and points, Ed. Ed concludes, this story worked better than the five doctors for me. Wow. As it wasn't trying to cram too many past elements in and only use Troughton and Hines. It allowed them to play second fiddle to the regulars while still getting a decent amount of screen time. I especially enjoyed Troughton's scenes with Destari and Shokai. So, what does Ed give this, Mr. Leon? Good question. Ed gives this 2.8 out of 5. Oh, amazing, Ed. Amazing. I'd love this mini. Don't understand mm, why it doesn't amount to 4.0, but yeah, great. <laughs> Or how you accidentally gave it 1.8 too many. But yeah, it's good stuff. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks very much. Who's next? Why, it's that person who has one more finger than I have on this hand I'm holding up that you can't see. It's Tan Six Fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Tans. 
Tans has started his mini with a, a very nice pricey of this cereal, so have a read through that on the website. We're going to jump straight to the review proper with this. I think this is the best multi-doctor story since it only has two doctors to share the screen, effectively replacing the companion of the week. Patrick Troughton is a joy to watch. And then Tan breaks down some likes and dislikes. The likes being small details like the globes of the nine planets in the Starry's office. Mm, I didn't nice. even notice that. Mm. There's a nice scene where <laughs> Troughton walks up to one of them and wants to spin it, but it's stuck, <laughs> so it doesn't spin. No, really? Next like. Androgums are wonderful and need to be brought back. Yes, hear, hear. What is more terrifying than an enemy who thinks you taste good? How do you negotiate with that? You say, no, I'm terrible. I'm all gristle. <laughs> yeah, anyway. <laughs> Next like. The Santarans are finally a decent threat and not just a farce. Nice. And last like. The homicidal defense program on the station's computer. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And then we entered some dislikes. First up being, why are the Santarans needing time travel when they have used it in nearly every story so far? Oh, wait, hang on. What? That's a fair point. Wait, did they use time travel in... Yeah, in Invasion of Time, presumably. The Time Warrior, definitely. (laughs) The Time Warrior? Oh my goodness, you're so right! Wait, this is... uh, uh, Yeah. (laughs) I think it was this idea of unlimited time travel. Yeah. I see. But... Yeah that, yeah. That, <laughs> that, yeah, that doesn't hold up. Next. Dislike. Too much exposition from the sixth doctor. Like they tell us in writing class, show action, not talking. Final dislike. The starry. Ooh, controversial. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest minds in the galaxy and who had access to the doctor's DNA was supposedly killed by a single bullet. I think he should have crawled away or regenerated or something. Maybe got away before the Hacienda burned down. Mm-hmm. They never showed his body after it was shot. Ooh, potential Mm. recurring character. Yeah. Mm. Tans concludes with, if this had been shot in New Orleans as originally planned, it would have broken the trope that Doctor Who thinks America is just New York, Washington, D.C., and the West. Oh, so close. And Tans gives... Oh, wow, I've just seen the rating. Tans gives this a rating of what, Jim? (laughs) Don't make me say it. No, you say it. Fine. He gives this a rating of 4.5 out of 5. Amazing, (laughs) Tans. Amazing. (laughs) Good stuff. Oh, God. Wow. I'm not in tune with the listeners today. People who are not Tan Six Fingers can follow Tan Six Fingers on Twitter and Instagram, respectively. He can be found at what, Jim? Tan Six Fingers and Tan Six Fingers. That's right. The number and the number spelled out as a word, respectively. <laughs> Thank you That's very right. much, Tan Six Fingers. <laughs> right, we've got three more listener minis and uh, slash maxis, and we're going to be reading snippets of them henceforth. Who's next? Why, uh, it's none other than Stephen, Stephen from, from Canada. Canada. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Stephen summarizes, from a production standpoint, this story was outstanding. The music was rich and fit well with the amazing location footage, and by extension, the fact that it was too hot for that coat. Nice. The special effects, especially the Mountain Sontaran, were fantastic. 
Mm-hmm. Overall, Stephen says this story earns oh, four bushy eyebrows and one half-assed restaurant stabbing out of five. To clarify, that's four point five out of five. <laughs> <laughs> Concluding with, as flawed as it is, I still love it to bits. Oh, Stephen, that is tremendous. <laughs> Have you met Tom? I'm so Sixers? sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves this, and I've just shat on it for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally fine. Don't worry about it. Hey, Degustibus. People who are not Stephen, please go to whobackone.com and read his mini slash maxi in its full splendor, because it is solid stuff. And say hi to Stephen on Twitter as well. He can be found at Watchim. Yes, Andre Etchen. That's right. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. Who's next? Why, it's none other than Kieran Evans. What Hello, up, Kieran? Kieran. <laughs> we jump to the end again with Kieran's, who says, I like the music. The March nice. bit is quite good, and the Spanish touches are nice. Oh, yeah. They filmed in Spain. This would be the last time in the 63 to 89 series where they filmed abroad, partly due to the next seasons having reduced budget, as well as lots of issues behind the scenes. Mm. And Kieran concludes with this thought. It's drawn out, it's effectively a six-parter, and a bit messy, but it's lovely to see the four, quote, regulars together. And he gives this a rating of 3.0 out of 5. Good stuff. Solid rating from a solid dude. Thank you very much, Kieran. People are not Kieran, you know the drill. Head on over to whoback1.com, read Kieran's mini in its full splendor. Then head on over to his Twitter account as well. He can be found where, Jim? At KJ Evans 2. Come on, let's, let's do the right thing here. <laughs> oh no, it's KJ Evans. Damn it, I read it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> And if you need reason to go read Kieran's whole review on whobackwhen.com, Kieran does offer up this little question to run around your head. If the bit with the second Doctor dying is fake, then why did the sixth Doctor feel it? Yeah, that's a head scratcher. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah. Good Whobackwhen for more Kieran goodness. Now right. then, who have we got last up? Ooh, why it's GP. Hello, GP. Hello, GP. I oh, said so G, you said P, G. P. G. P. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> GP says, snip, snippity, snip, 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 and then, and then adds, Shock Eye makes for some truly hilarious scenes, which no doubt Leon and Jim have dissected already. True. He also <laughs> says, I'm betting at least one of our illustrious podcast hosts finds him also quite brilliant. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is, <laughs> I think I think it's fair to say GP knows us quite well. <laughs> it, it, it fits the criteria of at least one, yes. GP continues, apart from some gratuitous breast shots of Perry, she wasn't too disagreeable in this episode, and sporting class, notably Jacqueline Pierce of Blake 7 fame, were top notch. A welcome yep. return to an entertaining and noticeably funny serial. Nice. And GP gives this a, a rating, an almost perfect rating, <laughs> of 3.9 attempts to eat Perry in just 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. People who are not GP, yeah, uh, you know what I'm about to say. Head on over to whobackone.com, read GP's mini in its full splendor. GP can't be found on Twitter just yet. But watch this space, because he will be sharing some details of how one might follow him and his travels on YouTube and Instagram. Mm, I look forward to that. Very exciting. Bing bong future Leon here. Uh, right you are, past Leon. <laughs> 
GP did indeed get in touch with some follow details. Podcast land, if you happen to not be GP, you can find GP on Instagram for starters. If you go to at finding G spots all in one word, no hyphens, don't worry about it. There you'll find a whole bunch of photos uh, from GP's travels. Very cool stuff. There's also a link to YouTube there, uh, or just search for finding G spots on YouTube. Nice one, GP. You've been on a lot of adventures. Uh, very cool stuff. I've also got another listener mini for your earballs delectation. This one comes from Peter Zunich. Hello, Peter. Peter says a whole bunch of stuff that I'm snip snippity snip snip snipping about how incredibly good this episode is and then adds, so why do I still have a distaste for this tale? Is it that some of it is so deliberately disturbing that it's off-putting? Is it that there are so many coincidences of timing and convenience? Possibly because once again I'm not sure if and when I'm supposed to laugh. Maybe it's that some moments are so out of character it feels like I'm watching a different show. Honestly, I don't know. I wasn't looking forward to this, but I liked it immensely more this time than I ever have. Before today, 1.8. After today, 3.0. And Peter just wishes he could have met Kartz and Reimer as well. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, don't we all. (laughs) Fantastic. People who are not Peter, head on over to the website, read his mini in its full splendor. Thank you very much, Peter. Right, back to the show. Bing bong. Good stuff. Thank you, everyone who wrote in. Sorry, I can't read them yeah, all thank out. Thank you very much. And that uh, very neatly encapsulates our yeah. <laughs> two doctor. I was going to say soiree, but this is possibly the earliest we've ever recorded an episode of Who Back When. <laughs> <laughs> our, our two doctors afternoon. I've had an absolute blast. Thank you very much, Jim. I've had a blast as well. Thank you very much, Leon. No, like Thank you, very nearly, like, just, I, I very clearly just like lined that up, fishing for, <laughs> for some reciprocation <laughs> there. <laughs> this is not the end of Doctor Who, nor is it the end of Who Back When. You'll be pleased to hear Podcast Land because coming up, we have a whole bunch of reviews, which now have all been scheduled. And I will, I will add that schedule to the website. I'll embed it somewhere so that if you like, you could even, you could even embed the calendar or like import the calendar and pop it in your phones if you want to. Next up, we have a new review. Jim, do you know what that's going to be? I believe it's going to be Resolution, which is the New Year special from, what, a couple of years ago? Three years ago? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, something like that. It'll be a re-review for us because we reviewed, we did like an instant action replay or instant action review at the time. So be sure to listen to that one before you listen to our next one. After that, we've got a classic Who review. It's going to be Time Lash. Very exciting stuff. Audio Land, still coming, will be The Gathering. Yeah, that is, to be honest, that's an episode that we haven't scheduled yet, but it will be scheduled. (laughs) (laughs) I think audio fans Um, know know the score. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, I think so too. And at some point, very, very soon, I, I'm, I'm, I still haven't edited this. I'm so sorry. But we will have part two of our new to who back when bonus double feature. That's new to who back when, T-W-O, I think. If you haven't listened to it already, have a listen to part one in the bonus channel. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's it mean, for upcoming episodes. In the meantime, you can though. say hello. It's very tasty stuff. Yeah. Holy moly. A trial of a Time Lord just around the corner. Pretty exciting. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. In the meantime, you can say hello to us online, Podcast Land. Jim, where can you be found? Remind us. I can be found on Twitter at Jimmy the Who. Uh, Jimmy the what now? No, no, no. Jimmy the Who. 
That's right. Excellent branding. Nice one. You can say hi to me as well. I will say hi right back. I'm at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. Peeps, you <laughs> you have been an absolutely lovely audience. Thank you so much for, for listening. Until the next time, please, please remain rad and excellent to one another. Rock on and cha-chao. Oh, you have been good. Very, very good. See ya. <laughs> Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own. Browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?